All right. Uh, welcome to the Be Your Own Superhero show, and I'm very, very grateful to have the opportunity to talk to Simon Hosford today. Thank you very much. Welcome. Pleasure. Welcome Absolute to the show. Pleasure. Yeah, cheers. And so we've got Simon on the show today to share with some insights about what it's like being a professional musician, uh, touring around Australia, um, what it's like uh, sort of on the, the professional level of things, how that works and the dynamics and a little bit about his story yeah, um, and where he's come from and maybe some tools around sort of the mindset side of things and how he's developed his career and, and going from there. Great. Cool. Happy to help. Awesome. So um, why music? Like what was that? What was that thing? Take us back. Right back, um, I think I was sort of pretty fortunate in that um, my parents could see that I was into music when I was really young. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, they would catch me sort of uh, when I was a baby, like lying upside down under the curtain weights, you know, singing into those. Yeah, right. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, when I was maybe, I don't know, three or four years old or something, um, they'd have the radio on during the day and I would just sit there in front of the radio. So I think they thought... I was either a bit on the spectrum or I liked music, yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I was lucky because I guess, you know, anyone else, their parents might not have recognised that. So when I was about five, they said, did I want to get music lessons? And I said, yeah, yeah. guitar, please. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and that's it. And so I started having guitar lessons from about the age of five yeah. and, um, and went from there. And, you know, I enjoyed it straight away and um but really i think what what sort of drove them crazy but was more interesting for me is i was enjoying the lessons but of course at that age you're sort of painting by numbers a bit mm-hmm. um with the material you know learning how to read and playing you know baba black sheep and all of this stuff but i was all i was straight away like sort of trying to make up my own chords and jamming and yeah yeah and trying to imitate the things on the radio and um uh, you know and of course i would just play my parents vinyl collection like from from a to z and then when it was finished i just go back and start it again so um so that's really the the beginning of it yeah yeah and when like what was that sort of point where you realized that this was going to be a career for you like were you in your teenage years was it i guess i guess so yeah um the passion for it never sort of uh sort of faltered or or waved you know so um you know I, i was into it the whole time when I was in primary school and then you know I really wanted to play electric guitar so um and because I started out on nylon string maybe I should, yeah, yeah. should say that but um <laughs> my old little classical but but I really wanted to play electric guitar I really you know like the high energy stuff that I was listening to mm-hmm. and um so my parents said look if you want to keep playing keep with your lessons and everything we'll get you an electric so that was about 12 that was the end of primary school about 12 years old yeah and um and then uh, I was fortunate enough to be with a really, really good guitar teacher who still teaches out in the eastern suburbs, I believe. Um, and he was teaching so many students that he put me together with a different bunch of guys. Yeah, yeah. And so I started playing in bands when I was about 13 and stuff, even though they were a bit older. And and I think it was around then that I realized, you know, I really don't want to do anything else. Yeah, and yeah. I was lucky because I started young I was sort of good enough that I I could see that, you know, if I kept it up and I worked hard at it, I probably could be good enough to try and make a career out of it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I would say early teens. Yeah, right. 
And where, like, how was that transition or what was that transition like going from starting to charge and, and doing all that sort of thing? And like, did you, like, how did you, did you have help with that? Or was there someone sort of there that was sort of guiding you along that path? Do you mean sort of making money and making a living out of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, not really, no. Um, so uh, the guitar teacher, Ron Longmore, who I actually, uh, who I was talking about before. Yeah. When I was about 15, he had so many students yeah, that yeah. he said, look, can you come and teach with me? Um, because he obviously felt that I was good enough to be able to take a whole bunch of his students that were more into the rock thing. Yeah, cool. Um, so I started doing that, and that's really when I started making money out of it. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, teaching, you know, after school. Um, and then as far as making money from gigs and that kind of stuff, that didn't really happen until after high school. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I was about, uh, you know, 17 or 18, okay. something like that. Um, and then, no, as far as guidance in how to charge or whatever, not really. I guess in the beginning I just did it for whatever everyone said the yeah. thing's paid, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, if someone said, we've got this gig, do you want to do it, it pays this, I just go, yep, no worries. Yeah, yeah. I was just happy to be working at that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Well, that's an interesting uh, topic. I th like I've over the last... A uh, few months I've been interviewing a lot of 20-something yep. uh, musicians that like their dream is to be able to um, like take their careers um, to be able to, well, the, their dream career uh, in many different ways was being able to be financially stable, start a family, own a house and still do their art. Yep. So that question kind of comes from that sort of phase is how do we actually go from like amateur musician into this sort of next level of, of phase? Well, I mean, I think to then better answer that, it's um, for me and I'm, for a lot of people that I know, it's having fingers in different pies musically. Okay, yeah. Um, I think it's pretty hard to make that kind of a sustainable uh, living with financial security just out of one avenue of music. Yeah. Um, so, for example, you know, I'll do some studio work, I'll do recording sessions, I'll do gigs, I'll be, uh, you know, guitarist for hire on tour with an artist, I'll teach. So, I'll do um, songwrite, you know, I'll do all these different things and then kind of the culmination of all of that keeps me fluid, you know, yeah, yeah. but it's still up and down. Yeah, like yeah. there's no, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not, I mean, I would say that, um, cause you know, I have students too that ask me exactly the same question and yeah, they, yeah. they might even say something specifically like, um, you know, what advice can you give me on, on making a living as a session guitarist? And my answer to that is, it's pretty tricky, yeah. actually, and probably more so now than back in the day. Yeah, I think in the um, the late eighties, nineties, the session scene was good enough that you could pretty much be like a, a gun for hire, so to speak, and make a good enough living out of it. Yeah, but there's not that many recording sessions, you know, anymore because most people can play guitar good enough um, if they're a producer or a keyboard player or whatever. Yeah, yeah. To um to put simple guitar parts down themselves, yeah. you know. So that's hence they're having your finger in a whole bunch of different pies. So it's more looking at like a an entrepreneurial sort of thing. It's like what are my skill sets and um, having these sort of different avenues to sort of make a, a career. Is that kind of what you would suggest as a sort of pathway? Like where? One hundred percent. Yeah, and I think especially valuable is um, having an intuition for what your strengths are. Yep. You know, because then that's a no brainer for that. That would be where you'd put your focus. Maybe not all your time. Like I said, you might have a couple of other little avenues of, of income from music, but that would be like, okay, I'm really good at that. Not only am I good at it, and people seem to think so, but I enjoy it 
because that's obviously really important. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and having an intuition for what that thing of yours is that, you, that you're good at and enjoy, because I think that's having that combination means that um, it's sort of pretty natural then to be able to make money out of that and people sort of gravitate towards you, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think a big thing too is also finding out what people need as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, for me, I was like, yeah, when I first started my teaching business, I was like, sweet, I'm going to teach, you know, how to be dressed in glitter and, you know, go crazy and be a rock star and all those kind of things. And yeah. it took me a few years to realize that that's not really how it works and most of the income was coming in from uh, from kids who needed to play ACDC songs or yeah. Harry Potter or, you know, football theme songs is a real popular one. So, yeah. Um, yeah, finding that passion but also finding out what people actually need too. So I think that would probably... Absolutely. And, you know, I think that, um, uh, you know, if you're someone that that feels like you can do some good and provide a service, because really that to me is what, what not just music, but in, in anyone's uh, passion job, you know, um, at the end of the day, what you're doing is providing a service. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what your reward is, essentially. So I think that you knowing what people want is is the key as well. But sometimes that's easy. Um, I know uh, when I talk to some people, they're, they're really stuck on, okay, I want to do this. How should I start? It's all, they've got so much pressure on, right, right. Me, me, me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, me too. I, yeah. And I know this from my own mistakes, but there's so much pressure on how do I begin it perfectly yeah, so yeah. that it just kills straight away. Um, and sometimes you learn what people want by just jumping in and caring, like asking people, what do you want? Yeah, yeah. You know? Um uh, you know that's and that's one of the things that I do, especially with with um, teaching guitar. Is um, I'll always tailor it to what turns them on. Yeah. You know, rather than go through a book from you know A to Z sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, there's been a few questions that uh, these twenty something musicians are have been talking about, and one of them that came up a lot was actually how to deal with egos in, oh, yeah. in the music industry. So I don't know whether you'd have a some skills or strategies or <laughs> sure it's a fascinating concept that I was um, that I, I think I probably went through in my 20s as well like this maybe also in relation to people more successful than you as well so right. um, yeah I don't know whether you had something to, to advice to give on that yep for sure I think that um, I mean because you're you're always going to come across people with egos and especially in I think probably in most forms of entertainment so obviously music falls pretty squarely into that yeah um, I think that if you, you just got to solidly be who you are, you know, and I think if you have your own little internal code of ethics that you want to do business by, if you want to think of it as business, you know, um, or it doesn't, I mean, it could be personally as well, of course, but I think that if you hold to those and try and let, um, you know, everyone else's sort of egos pushing you around or whatever, you got to let that sort of just bounce off you a bit. You know, because um, it is easy to be sort of pulled into, um, you know, could be disagreements with people with egos and stuff like that. Or if you're trying to be creative with someone and you're just completely, you know, not seeing eye to eye and someone's trying to bulldoze all their ideas onto you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that can be tricky for sure. But I think that getting caught up in it is that it hasn't worked for me. You know, that'll only end up making me frustrated and not enjoying the process as much. Of course, you can just choose to not work with the people with the egos and that's as much as possible. I mean, it's not always possible, but yeah, yeah. 
It's, it's, well, sometimes, you know, the people that with the egos or whatever are directly responsible for a good percentage of your income yeah, or yeah. something. So it's not as simple as just going, well, I'm not going to work with them anymore. But um, look, I think you just got to be your own person, mm. you know. And, um, you know, I try and, and treat people the way that I would want to be treated. And, you know, when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to collaborating, say, say if you're in a songwriting situation, mm-hmm. quite often you'll be dealing with someone that, you know, where attitudes and egos and things get in the way. And for me, that's sometimes you just got to let that experience be what it is. And if, and, and like I said, and rather than get caught up in it, just go, okay, that's what it is today. I'm just going to let them have their way. Sometimes giving someone a bit of latitude, even though you, you shouldn't, mm. is, um, works out just fine to get through the process, you know. To get the, the product finished. To or get the product right. finished yep. or whatever it is that you're working on with them. Yeah. But it is it is tricky for sure. There's plenty of egos around. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, we're going to sort of move back to a few more personal questions and we'll come back to some other things mm-hmm. that um, some people might um, be curious about finding the answers out to from your experience. Um, so one really um, thing that I love to talk to people about is um, – um, what is, what's the greatest piece of advice you've ever been given? Ah, that's a good one. Greatest piece of advice. Hmm. Let me think about that. You know, there's probably one of the, one of the uh, greatest things that I learned, um, that you can apply to your business as a musician, but also to your personal life, just the same, um, is that if you if you see yourself here as as providing a service to the community or um, to even just you know the the greater world generally that you're here for a purpose and you're here to do good, then I think that one of the greatest things I've heard is to um, is to create raving fans. You know, so and specifically, I guess what I mean by that is, let's say, um, uh, you know, if it's in personal relationships and stuff like that, then it's about going the extra mile. It's about doing things um, not because you expect something back necessarily, but just because it makes you happy to conduct yourself that way. Um, And then, you know, I suppose if it comes to music uh, and business, then it would be to do things that, um, that no one would expect you to do, you know, go the same thing, go the extra mile, um, try and provide a service that no one else is providing um, and so, you know, I think that that's, that's pretty good for all of life, you know, create raving fans. Yeah. Nice one. Create raving fans, everybody. <laughs> um, what is, um, what's the nicest thing someone else has ever done for you? Um, I've been lucky. I've had people, some people do lovely things for me. <laughs> nicest thing. Um, well, I can think of one example musically, which was um, years ago I was touring with Tommy Emmanuel, sort of his right-hand electric guitarist. Yep. And um, and so the tour had finished and I had a, a crap beat-up acoustic guitar at that time. Um, so before the tour, uh, we were rehearsing just at his house, just casually, you know, and and uh, and he said, oh, look, you can't, be, you can't be using that thing with me, you know? And no. I was like, all right. And he said, so there's these six acoustic guitars and he had six completely different acoustic guitars kind of lined up on the couch. And he said, you know, why don't you, um, 
have a play of each one, see what which ones you like the feel of or the sound of or which ones just kind of speak to you generally. Yeah, yeah. And you could use that on the tour. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. That'd be great. So I did that, found one, used it for the tour. The tour finished. And um, and then one Sunday morning, and I'd st- I think I was still up um, entertaining with a, with a lass from the night before. And there's a knock at the door, you know, like 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, who's that, you know? So I get in, get in my dressing gown. I look through the peephole and it's Tommy Emmanuel standing there. Yeah, right. And I was like, oh, okay. So I just sort of quickly <laughs> got rid of some pizza boxes or something, you know, and um, and still in my dressing gown, opened the door and, and he says, it's okay, I can I can hear you're busy, but um, I just had a present for you. And so I said, okay, what's that? And, um, and he had a, a guitar case there. And, you know, he'd signed it and stuff. And, and I was like, oh, that's so sweet. He's got me a, a guitar case for my acoustic guitar, like yeah, sort yeah. of brand new case. And, uh, and I said, thanks. He goes, why well, aren't you going to open it? And I went, oh, okay. And I opened it and it was his guitar that he let me use on the tour. He just brought it around and it was a gift. Yeah, right. So, um, so yeah, that was pretty, pretty cool. And I've still got it to this day, actually. It's still one of my main acoustic guitars. Yeah, right. Yeah. Do you want to grab it if you got it here? Hey. I do, right there. I think it'd be good for the good for the story. Yeah, why not? Is it in tune? Can play us a tune? Probably not. <laughs> kind of. What year, what year would that have been? You've got that. It's been around for a while, obviously. Yeah, this would be '96 um, something. Actually, it probably says inside it '96. There you go. So what's that? Something. Like 22 years old? Jeez. <laughs> 96. I was in grade 6 in 96. Yeah, there you go. Nice one. Cool. And what, this is a, this, like we talked about this before, and I sort of gave you a bit of a heads up about this question, but what's, what's the, what's the number one? What's the key turning point in your life? What's the most significant moment that um, really changed who you are? Yeah, you did mention that to me before, and that's a tricky one for sure. But I think if I had to narrow it to one thing, that had, uh, you know, ripple effects would be um, probably about 15 years ago or maybe a little bit more or so now. I I was always pretty, like I, I did okay in school. I always felt pretty self-sufficient. You know, I felt yeah. like I was smart enough to be able to figure things out by myself, you know, which I think most people do actually. Um, and, you know, I felt like whatever life had to offer was I was – I was uh, cluey enough to be able to figure out. And um, and I came to a realisation, actually. Um, well, you would have been. Yeah, it'd be just over 15 years ago, probably, that um, that actually I uh, that I can't do it all by myself and that yeah, there's right. a wealth of information out there to um, to help with, you know. And that really started me on a journey of, of then stop, uh, stopping just accepting things as they are and I started reading a lot more. And I mean, I know that people don't read books much anymore, but there's so much stuff out there that's that's gold of whatever the thing is that you want to know more about. Yeah. So whether that's uh, whether that's music or whether that's psychology or whether that's just being a human being, you know, um, there's so much stuff out there. And so I think that that moment was probably the most pivotal one for me. Yeah, yeah. Is realizing that there's um, that you know if you can't do it all yourself, there's so many things that are cool that can help, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, and I think a lot of musicians too were because we got access to all these home studios and stuff. Now it's like we can do it all ourselves. Yeah. And um, I think that was probably my realization too. And I started talking earlier about when I was twenty seven. Is I was trying to do everything. Yep. Play all the instruments, play all, do all the singing, do all the writing, do all the production, all the gigs, paying up for everything, blah, blah, blah. And I realized, Ugh! and I was just burnt out totally. Yeah. Um, so that's when I realized that, yeah, I needed to ask for help and have mentors around me and books and reading and study. Yep. and all Mentors as well. That's a really good one. Exactly the same thing. You know, there's so many great people around that are actually happy to be, have their brain picked and be a wealth of information, but just no one thinks to ever ask them. Yeah, yeah. But so that and yeah, and books and, and of course there's, um, there's, I mean, we were talking before about, um, like courses now that they're easy to do that, you know, um, have gold inside them as well, you yeah. know? So yeah, I think, I think that was probably my biggest turning point because up, up till then everything worked until it didn't, yeah. you know? And then I felt like I was sort of beating my head against a brick wall. And plus the music scene was radically changing. Yep. You know, I sort of grew up at the as a rock guitarist, but just as the rock guitar thing was kind of fizzling out. Yep. And so everything changed. The session scene changed. The gig scene changed. What people were buying on CDs at the time. <laughs> no one buys them anymore much either, but CDs changed, you yeah, know. Yeah. So, um, and so that got pretty frustrating, you know, but it's... Uh, then when I was like, you know what, I can just um, just pick from all this great information that's out there and actually kind of supercharge myself, you know, instead of uh, just expecting to have the answers. Yeah, yeah, be your own superhero. Exactly. Hashtag. <laughs> yeah, that's really exactly. cool. Exactly. And uh, we also we also talked about you've just come back from Tony Robbins' Date with Destiny. I did. So that's um, great. That's pretty cool to to hear that because we were talking a little bit about my own personal journey and yeah, yeah. Um, how I want to be able to help musicians really find this core thing that they really want to be able to dedicate themselves to. Um, and yeah, so it was really cool to hear that, you know, there's other people, other musicians and creatives out there that are actually investing in their personal development and, and dealing with the junk in the trunk. Yeah. Um, so that's a pretty cool process. Which we all have. And, you know, I didn't even realize some of the things that were um, buried down inside my head, yeah. you know, and until, in fact, I, re I would say most people don't, they, they would live their lives and, and not even realize that um, that there's these subconscious things with fears or whatever else, or, you know, that are tangled up, sort of sapping energy from them. And yep. um, when they when they could have all that set free, you know. But yep. have um, you got an example that you want to share? Um, you know, it's tricky because of course a lot of these things, as you know, are pretty personal. But yep. um, but you know, I mean, I would say for. In, in a more vague sense, I mean, I learned more about um, the way humans interact with each other and even specifically, uh, you know, in relation, uh, romantic relationships like male, female or whatever it is, you know, um, in in a week than in the whole rest of my life leading up to that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what it's like. It's, it's like a crash. You go, right, okay, wow, you know. And then you so you think to yourself, why don't they teach that stuff in schools? Yeah, It'd be yeah. so valuable, you know. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I mean things like that. But yeah, I mean there's lots of little personal fears for me too that um, I realized went back to when I was about three years old. Mm. Stuff that gets really so deeply rooted that you would never even know it's there. Yeah. And when you uncover that, and you go, oh my god, and you have so much energy. But not with doing anything, not energy because you've started working out, not energy because you started eating broccoli. Just, <laughs> it's, it's like instant. It's like all of a sudden, 
you you free of all this um, stuff that was zapping your energy, you know, that you didn't even know was zapping your energy. Yeah, yeah. You know? I'm, I'm trying to come up with a really good way of explaining it, um, what this sort of process actually does. Yeah. Uh, I think the best one I've come up with is like an orchestra. Yeah. And so we spend so much time that like we imagine that we've got all these different areas of our life and we spend so much time just focusing on this one aspect and we make that sound really, really awesome. Mm. Like this might be our music career or whatever it is or our playing ability. And then, but we've got all this like social, financial, career, um, um, spiritual, mental, physical areas of our life. But because this one area plays so well together, like this one section of the orchestra, it's just like this sounds beautiful, but everything else is in sort of disarray. Mm. So it's basically going through all these different areas of our life and actually tuning up all these different Getting it all happening, all the different areas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. There's a great uh, metaphor that I've heard too, which is like, I mean, most people, if, if you think of it as like the wheel on a car mm. and it's all kind of in little segments, you know, and depending on whether it's in tune or not or how developed it is or not is, you know, how kind of uh, where, where the level of that segment is. Yep. So most people are going around with these wonky wheels, like one thing's really good and all the rest. So you get this kind of, <laughs> like, like teeth all out of order, you yeah. know, like trying to roll on it. Um, and it's, you know, that's why a lot of people are frustrated. Yeah, yeah. It's a, well, it's an out-of-tune guitar. It's like, an out-of-tune guitar? I imagine it's like an, uh, well, the orchestra is like a, a thousand-string guitar and we've got to tune it all up because we can strum across a certain little section that's in tune. We're like, that's nice. I like this bit. Yeah. <laughs> but then we strum across the rest of it and it's like, blah, don't look back there. That's some crap. No, that's right. So, so um, yeah, cool. Um, anything else that you would like to share with, these 20 something musicians that are sort of wanting to get into this career and have this, you know, they've got this dream that they'd love to have. And yeah, sure. Um, look, it's incredibly rewarding. Of course, uh, when, when you do something that you're passionate about, um, but it's definitely tricky. Uh, and I consider myself pretty lucky yep. and a lot of uh, colleagues that I've grown up with that have made a full-time living out of it, consider themselves pretty lucky, but it's definitely not, it's not easy, that's for sure. So I think that um, uh, you know, it's your passion that keeps you keeps you dealing with all the little bits and pieces that that you have to deal with. But you know, like what I was saying before, I think one uh, as much as possible, try and keep your fingers in lots of different pies, so to speak. You know, in, within uh, the music industry. Yep. Um, so. You know, don't see yourself, like when I was younger, I used to see myself as sort of a, well, this is what I do. This is me, you know, mm. and um, and that, you know, that became frustrating because it was really restricting. And then I realized that it was kind of a false belief anyway. Yeah. You know, it was, it was from a belief when I was a teenager, like, well, I'm just going to be a rock guitarist and, and, um, and have my own original band and that's it, you know. But then you realize that there's so many... Uh, wonderful parts of the music industry, you know, that, um, uh, that you, and that you can work, collaborate with other people, do things for other people. Like uh, we were talking about songwriting before, you know, that's an awesome thing to be able to do. And we were talking before too about, I mean, it doesn't even have to be for yourself. Like I don't songwrite necessarily even for me. You know, I write songs and then give them to my publisher or I give them straight to an artist that I think might like it. Yeah. Um, so that and, uh, you know, um, knowing your strengths, like we were talking about, like having a good intuition for the things that you're good at and how you could best kind of serve people. Um, and then you brought up a good point as well, of course, about um, finding out what, 
what people are hungry for. Yeah, yeah. You know, find out what their needs are. And if you can meet their needs at the same time as doing something that you enjoy, you're going to win. Yeah, it's a win-win. It's a win-win yeah. scenario. So that's something I've been talking a little bit about on the blog as well as finding win-win scenarios for people. It's like it's yeah. the same thing in a relationship. It's the same thing in music. Yep. Uh, it's the same thing with yourself really. It's like we're, I want to do this thing and I want to have this, you know, maybe lifestyle outcomes. But how do you get that through doing something that actually serves other people? That's right. You know, helping people, other people get there what they want. One, one thing I would like to say actually on that is I think one of the th- big shifts in me which is and we talked a little bit about how when i realized that it there's nothing wrong with actually trying to um find help so whether that was you know mentors books whatever it is yeah but also i think when i was younger i thought that i was given this great gift of music um for me basically yeah it was something that the gift was for me you know and what i realized is that it's it's a gift that you get to give back because Without an audience to listen to it, it's who you're doing it for. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that when I realized that, that um, you know, by being a creative musician, you're actually getting to, to give, uh, you know, positive energy and stuff back to the world. That's That was when you realize that, you, you it shifts your focus and then all your decisions that you make are a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Nice one. Well, thanks so much, Simon, for coming on board. Such a pleasure. Cheers. And uh, until next time, everybody, be your own superhero. And if you want to check out Simon, he's doing some music lessons and production, and where's the best way to get a hold of you? Okay, the best way to get a hold of me, uh, I'm in Melbourne, but I'll do you know uh, Skype or FaceTime as well if you're not in town. Um, otherwise, so my email is just my name, Simon Hosford, or one word, at Mac, M-A-C.com. We'll underneath. Great. And um, and that's the best way. Of course, I'm on Facebook and I'm one of the only Simon Hosfords, certainly the only bald one. Um, so you can you can easily find me on Facebook and hit me up with Messenger or whatever. Cool. Thanks, mate. Great. Till next time, be your own superhero. Thanks. Indeed. Catch you on the next one. Cheers. Thanks for listening to our show. If you are a musician, songwriter, or music producer, and you've got a skill set and you want to avoid failure and financial instability and develop confidence, people skills, and time management to create a career that you love, then head to our private Facebook group, Music and Mindset Community, for more information on our next training events and workshops.